And this really accounts for, you know, some studies show up to 40% of runners actually get this. And it's really called patellofemoral pain syndrome, or it's kneecap pain, essentially. So if you're looking at it, you have pain on the front of your kneecap, and you can't really point to it. So it's not very pinpoint specific. When someone has this, it just feels like it's right around the kneecap area, right in the front of your knee. And it's really simply an irritation of the cartilage that's underneath your kneecap. Hey, healthy runners. In today's episode, we flip the script and the interviewer becomes the interviewee. So I had the pleasure of having a great conversation with Steve Carmichael on the Run Buzz podcast where we did a deep dive into runner's knee or the medical term we call patellofemoral pain syndrome or basically achy pain on the front of your knee that hurts when you go up hills, that hurts when you start to increase your running mileage, or your intensity. So this is probably the most common running-related injury there is out there. And I help many runners with this pain. And I was fortunate enough to go on the Run Buzz podcast and do a deep dive. So Steve and I had a great conversation really getting into what this knee pain is that you are feeling and what are the causes of it as well as treatment. And then we get into some great prevention strategies. And I share with you my favorite exercises that I give the runners that I work with on a one-on-one basis to get over this condition. So there is a ton of tips in this episode, really giving you a better idea of what runner's knee is and how you can overcome it so you can continue running without having to stop running. One thing that I would highly recommend is you check out the show notes of this episode because I'm going to be dropping links to the specific exercises that I talk about in the podcast interview. So I'm going to put this together in a blog post for you with all of the links to the actual exercises that I talk about with Steve. And you'll be able to check out those uh, exercise videos on how to perform them on my YouTube channel. So get the links in the show notes below. And then also, if you are struggling with this condition and you've been told to stop running from other medical practitioners and you want to continue running but also heal from this very common running-related injury, I have helped helped hundreds of runners with this condition. I've had this condition myself uh, way back when, and the strategies that I talk about in this episode, I would love to help you uh, personally on an individual basis. I help runners either in person for my local Connecticut runners or virtually through telehealth visits, and I would love to be able to help you overcome this, provide you the strategies that you need in order to get back running without having the stubborn knee pain. So if you want more information for that, just head over to sparkyourtraining.com and hit the request um, availability button, and I will be in touch with you to talk about your situation to see if it's a good fit for us to work together on getting you beyond this pain. If you like this episode and you're looking for other deep dives into some injury topics, then I would definitely have you check out episode 20 in which we got into iliotibial band syndrome or IT band syndrome. 
And that was a nice deep dive where I did something similar, really sharing everything you need to know about IT band syndrome. So check out episode 20. And if you have hamstring pain or a hamstring injury or a hamstring tendinopathy, that pain in the top of your butt, then check out episode 23 in which I did a deep dive into hamstring injuries. And if you're looking to get your running mojo back, whether it's because of COVID or other stressors that have been going on in your life and you just can't get the motivation and the mojo to get back into running, then I would point you in the direction of episode 13 of the Healthy Runner podcast to check out my interview with Steve Carmichael from the Run Buzz podcast in which he came on my show to share some great motivational tips and strategies. And then finally, for those of you who do enjoy my conversation with Steve, please go ahead and check out his Run Buzz community. He's got a Facebook group as well as a very, very successful podcast um, with some great episodes, great content. Uh, It's one of my favorites that I listen to on my long runs. So I would highly point you in that direction and check out some of um, the episodes he has on his podcast. So without further ado, we are going to be talking about runner's knee, patellofemoral pain syndrome with Steve Carmichael from the Run Buzz podcast. I hope you enjoy the episode. So here's the question, how do runners like us remain active, get stronger, and heal from injuries without being told to stop running and create a healthy life for ourselves so we can continue to hit PRs well into our 40s and 50s? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, physical therapist, running coach, and creator of Spark Physical Therapy, where we help active adults be able to run without aches and pains so you can feel good about yourself again. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Run Buzz Podcast. My name is Steve Carmichael, your host of the Run Buzz Running Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me today. I have Dr. Dwayne Scotty, and we have a pretty in-depth episode on the topic of runner's knee. Runner's knee is one of the most common running injuries, and it can be a nuisance. And so in this episode, Dwayne and I chat about what runner's knee is, how to prevent it, and in the case where you might actually get it, how to get over it. So without further ado, I want to invite Dwayne to the Run Buzz podcast. So my guest today is Dr. Dwayne Scotty. Dwayne is a practicing physical therapist, educator, researcher, and founder of Spark Physical Therapy in Hamden, Connecticut. Uh, he's a certified running coach. He's host of the Healthy Running Podcast. And if you remember, if you're a regular listener, you'll remember that Dwayne was back with us in episode 129, I think it was. We talked about IT band syndrome, and uh, you brought a lot of cool stuff and cool tips for everybody. So wanted to have you back today to talk about runner's knee, which is either IT band's big brother, little brother, or, or angry angry brother. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about that. That's going to be the kind of the topic of the show. But you know, I know you have a lot of background. This has been an area of research for you in terms when you were starting out as a physical therapist and really looking forward to, to having that discussion. So for everybody listening, let's give Dwayne a big run buzz. Welcome. Welcome, my friend. Thanks so much for having me on again, Steve. The first time was great and I'm really excited about coming on the show for this uh, topic. So thanks for inviting me back on. 
Yeah, no problem. See, you didn't screw up the first time, so we got invited back. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, it's always glad to have you back. Um, yeah, so it's uh, really been cool following you over on, on your podcast as well. And, and uh, yeah, so I guess I just want to – let's just start off with, you know, we're going to talk about runner's knee. Before we do that, for those of you who are listening for the first time, I know I introduced you, but tell us something a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a runner, uh, adult onset runner since I was uh, 32. So it's been nine years now. And I've been a physical therapist for 17 years and went down the whole academia route and research route, got two advanced doctoral degrees, did a whole PhD. And my dissertation was actually on this topic of runner's knee. So, and specifically looking at the iliotibial band for folks that have runner's knee. So I'm very passionate about this topic. And, you know, really wanted to kind of reach out as a physical therapist within the running community in a different way these past couple of years. So started my own practice, Spark Physical Therapy, where we really focus on kind of the whole runner, um, not so much just you have knee pain and let me fix your knee pain and then I never see you again. So it, it really focuses on kind of the prevention side of things, as well as getting you back past that point of pain so you can stay pain-free and be able to hit that half marathon goal or be able to run your first 5K without stopping to walk. So those are the things that I've really kind of have moved toward um, at this stage of my career and, you know, listen to a podcast like yours and really started to motivate me to say, you know what, let's, you know, reach out to runners in a different way because I see all the runners that you impact, Steve. I think that is amazing. And I really wanted to kind of educate a little bit more on a grander scale. So that's why I started the Healthy Runner podcast and we have the Healthy Runner Facebook group. So there's a lot of engagement in there and just trying to share some good medical knowledge, um, healthy tips, um, whether it is injuries or even, you know, strengthening wise, I have a strength and conditioning background and now just finished, as you mentioned, you know, the run coaching. And I think all of those really play a role into runner health. So it's not just the specifics of, you have tight muscles or you're weak or, you know, the training is a huge role and honestly probably makes up 60 to 75% of the running injuries that I see in my clinic because they're training errors. So the more that I know about that, the more I can educate and help my patients get back to running as well as share some of that information to kind of prevent those injuries. So I love talking with coaches like yourself, Steve, and just trying to collaborate more and share, you know, this information out there because running is an amazing sport and it's one of those sports that you can do as you age and as you go into middle age and hopefully like myself, I'm hopefully running into my nineties. And if you do it the right way, there is a way that you can do it. And I really feel that almost anyone can run that. It's not that I'm not a quote unquote runner and you can't do it. So you just need to learn the strategies in terms of training. And that's what you focus on in your specialty, as well as kind of some of the physical characteristics um, and set yourself in a position to be strong enough to tolerate the demands of running. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, I've known you now for, for a little while now. And, and uh, that's, I think, one of the things that I think we have a, a very good cross group uh, in terms of the focus. And, and I know I'm a member of your group and get a lot of value out of that, especially your, your Monday night sparks. I don't always catch them live. In fact, I only think I caught them live once, but yeah, I, I enjoy those. And, uh, you know, I've trusted you enough that I send you my own clients. <laughs> so that's kind <laughs> yes. of, uh, 
that's kind of like the ultimate, like, uh, Hey, I trust this guy. Like, um, you know, you want to make sure you send, take care of your clients. And so thanks for, thanks for taking care of mine. Um, all right. So let's get into, to runner's knee. Let's start off with just talking about what is runner's knee and, and what can cause it. So great question. So runner's knee collectively can, some people call it a couple of different diagnoses, but the one main one that I really want to focus on is the most common. And this really accounts for, you know, some studies show up to 40% of runners actually get this. And it's really called patellofemoral pain syndrome, or it's kneecap pain, essentially. So if you're looking at it, you have pain on the front of your kneecap, and you can't really point to it. So it's not very pinpoint specific. When someone has this, it just feels like it's right around the kneecap area, right in the front of your knee. And it's really simply an irritation of the cartilage that's underneath your kneecap. So underneath your kneecap bone, there's a little cartilage and that meets the other bone, your femur underneath. And sometimes that can get irritated. Now there are a number of factors that contribute to that getting irritated, but it is that irritation and why runners will feel pain either during a run, especially doing hills or prolonged sitting. So if they're sitting in an office all day long, they might feel some pain or a long car ride or going up and down stairs as well as squatting. So if you're a person who traditionally would go to the gym um, or if you're doing squats in your house right now during coronavirus, then you know that would be a movement that increases your pain. So those are the classic kind of signs that someone would have with this patellofemoral pain syndrome, or I'm just going to simply call it runner's knee because that's a lot easier to say. Um, but th that is what it is. Can you get it from other forms like of not running? Like obviously um, I, I've had people who have mentioned to me, and this is not in a running sense, but, but have mentioned to me commonly is like, you know, I just have sore knees. Is that also, can, can you get it in terms of being a non-repetitive use type injury? Is it, is there other ways to, you know, incorporate that? Or is, are we now looking at more like arthritis and osteoarthritis and maybe other causes? Yes. Yeah. So totally two different um, animals, arthritis. Mm -hmm. Now that you mentioned that is wearing away the cartilage between your two long bones. So the femur and the tibia, and that's that articular cartilage that starts to wear down. And classically, that person wakes up with a stiff knee that's painful, and it hurts them when they do too much weight-bearing activities. So whether it's running or whether it's walking, it's that weight-bearing effect. This runner's knee is usually associated with active individuals. So it is that person who... and when I say active individuals, they might, they're doing too much that their body can't tolerate the demands for. So you can, there's a wide spectrum. So we see this, you know, commonly in females, especially young female adolescent athletes get this a lot and because they're growing and they're not strong enough usually yet to kind of control some of that tracking and we'll get into kind of hip strength, but we can also see it in, you know, someone like you and I in the middle-aged folk who maybe aren't doing all the necessary things to prevent it, but we're going out there and we're trying to train, we're trying to run as much as possible. And that's just too much demand and load for the cartilage underneath the kneecap area. So for the sedentary individuals, they're not really going to get this. So if you're pretty much not exercising, not working out, you're not going to get this. You pretty much are going to have to be doing some form of running, some form of exercise in order to get runner's knee. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so 
the other common injury and the one we talked about last time is IT band syndrome. So, and I know there's some relationship there, but can we talk a little bit about how would you say something is more of, of one versus the other? Yeah. So those are very easily diagnosed in terms of the pain location. So if you have pain that's pinpoint specific, you can take your finger and point to the outside of your knee. That is classically iliotibial band syndrome or IT band syndrome. So that is a big difference between runner's knee is more of that front of the kneecap pain. So just even on pain location, those can be easily diagnosed. And the IT band syndrome is usually a little bit sharper. Um, sometimes it's like a stabbing pain. Some of my clients describe it as um, where it literally stops you in your tracks and you're running and you're, you now have to walk. That could happen with patellofemoral pain syndrome or runner's knee, but typically it's more of a dull, diffuse, achy pain that you feel. Definitely if it's more irritable and kind of got flared up by a significant increase in activity level, then someone might feel some sharp pain that might stop them in their tracks. But it is usually the IT band syndrome um, that causes that. And what's interesting is a lot of our talk, Steve, is some of it is going to be a little overlap to our last interview because it, some of the contributing factors to both of these conditions are the same. And in terms of prevention and treatment, when we get into, you're going to see some similarities between those. Right. And I've, I've had, I would say I've had instances of runner's knee flare up occasionally more so than I've had IT band issues. But the thing that I recognized when I was having kneecap, kneecap pain, what, what, what best described it was, is like, it felt like it was inside my knee behind my kneecap. Like it, like I could touch my kneecap and it wouldn't hurt, but it felt like there was just something behind it. And, and it was almost like, um, when it, when it flared up, it hurt. And, but then the most of the time when I, when it wasn't at a high level of aggregation, it just ached, <laughs> it was just achy knees. And, and, and of course, when I got it, it was a couple of years ago, the first time was, I was just kind of feeling like, Oh man, am I starting to get arthritis? Cause my, my old man's got arthritis and he gets it in his shoulder. He gets it really bad in his shoulders. And I tend to get stuff before he does. So then my, you know, my hair went gray 10 years before him, my, everything that he's had, medically i get 10 years 15 years which is kind of scary actually um but yeah so i i think that describes it a different whereas with it band that i've seen with runners is you know they're, they're getting into a run and a mile in the run it's just all they just have this sharp pain like they can't continue like really pain in the side like somebody stabbed them in the side of the leg um yeah both of them are are, are very nuisance frustrating injuries though it's uh they're, they're not fun. Yeah, absolutely. And how you kind of describe that dull, diffuse ache, like that's classic. And even the behind the kneecap, like that's what my clients will tell me. And that's kind of reported within the literature. And the interesting thing is because it's not a specific structure that's really at fault, such as let's say another structure in the knee is like the meniscus. And you probably heard about meniscal tears before. And those are usually more traumatic in nature, meaning, you know, you stepped wrong, twisted on a knee, you landed wrong, maybe in a pickup game of basketball. And, you know, that's a specific structure that you can have a, a diagnostic test, such as an MRI that will help diagnose it. But for patellofemoral pain syndrome or runner's knee, 
there is no diagnostic test that is going to actually diagnose this condition. So if you are a runner who has exactly what Steve described, that dull, diffuse, achy pain that increases when you go up and down stairs, when you squat, and also I didn't mention before kneeling, kneeling can hurt, um, or prolonged sitting, then that you know, nine times or 99 times out of 100 is going to be runner's knee. And if you go to an orthopedic specialist, let's say, because you feel that you need to see an orthopedic specialist to diagnose this condition, um, that's really not going to change the course of your care. That orthopedic specialist is not going to say, let's order you up an MRI to see what's going on in that knee. That orthopedic specialist is going to say, you need some physical therapy. So in most of our states, um, pretty much everywhere within the country now, you have direct access to physical therapy services, meaning you don't need a referral or a script from a physician to see your local physical therapist who specializes in working with runners. So for this condition, I think that's an important point to make because your access to care and getting proper care and timely care can be a lot quicker if you just reach out to your local physical therapist or even now, everything's virtually. Um, myself, I do virtual telehealth visits, but you know, see someone virtually to get started on treatment for this condition. Yeah, I agree with that a thousand percent because I think when I've, um, you know, not to take away from sports docs, they have their place, but I, it seemed like whenever I had a running injury up until a couple of years ago, we would go see a sports doc because in Ohio, we at that time we had to have a referral. And you would walk in and, and like I'd say, they twist your leg one way and they say, did that hurt? Like, nope. And they twist it the other way, that hurt. And then they like, nope. And they twist a certain way and you're like, ah, you know, and it was like, and then all they would do is like, all right, you need to go see a physical therapist. Like maybe they would do an x-ray, you know, if they wanted to see if there was any kind of um, damage or stress fracture or some sort of uh, structural damage. But for, for, for things again, like runner's knee and IT band syndrome and things like that, where, you know, you can, my understanding, my you know, just from being around you guys and, and learning about the types of running injuries is that this, this is not something that, that you need to do that. And honestly, the person who's going to make you get better anyways, is not the doctor, it's the physical therapist and, and give you those, you know, cause you guys specialize in the movement and how things are connected and the strength and in the, and how the body is in, in, in movement. And whereas um, we don't always necessarily need somebody to write us a script for pain pills or, um, it's funny. I've had tons of, of and people come to me and say, yeah, I went to my doctor. My doctor says, stop running. I'm like, you need to see a new doctor. Like, and there, these would be doctors who were like supposedly trained and, and, and you're just like, gotta be kidding me. Like, no, go see a physical therapist. They'll tell you if you can't run or not. Like, you know, it's just, but, and, and I've had people come back and go, I, I can run now. And I was told by my doctor, I couldn't. And, that's important, I think, is that, you know, there's all these different medical specialties out there and, and to seek the medical specialist that is best treated to solve that problem. Um, and don't assume that, you know, a family doctor is the best place to go or, um, you know, if, as I always told it, you know, if you go to a surgeon, they're always going to want to operate. That's what surgeons do. Um, that's what my sports doc told me. And sure enough, they, they operated, but in that case, it actually worked, but that was after we did four rounds of physical therapy and nothing was working. Um, but yeah, so I think that's a great thing um, to talk about in terms of nowadays, you don't need that. In most places, you don't need a, a referral from a doctor and, and uh, it's good things are moving that way. And I also like the fact that you now have telehealth in most places and in most cases for 
seeking out people now you don't you're not even restrained so if you're in a small town or if you're in a place where maybe you have a you don't have a lot of options and and you you, you might have physical therapists but they might be working more with maybe accident victims and not necessarily sports physical therapy so i think it just gives us so many options now it's it's great so um absolutely and especially just um add to that just a little bit because I think the importance of niche fields and the niche fields of working with runners is, you know, we as runners have specific demands and have specific concerns. And there are specific injuries that a lot of runners get that are very common, such as the two that we've talked about thus far. And someone who works with a lot of those injuries is going to usually be able to get you better a little bit quicker without, like you said, having to stop running because number one, they understand what running means to you, as well as knowing that actually stopping activity usually does not actually increase the healing of those conditions, especially this condition. There's really, it's very, very, very rare that I would ever have someone stop running at like totally with this condition. So seeing someone who specializes, whether or not it is a physical therapist, obviously I am, but there are some great you know, running chiros out there, running, you know, sports docs who aren't surgeons um, who can help you out. So I, I am a big advocate of seeing someone who specializes in working with runners if you have especially the condition that we're talking about today. And you don't need to stop running in order to heal from injury. Yeah. And I mean, this, the world, the way it's changed in, in, in medicine and the way it's that the things have been going with the technology and stuff now is that we're no longer limited by my borders um, and, and where we are, it's still, it's changing, but where it's ours, just because there might be regulations, but in those particular states. So we can't speak for every state, but it's certainly the movements going the right direction. So, um, all right. So we talked about what runner's knee is. And before I get into like, how do we fix it? How do we prevent it in the first place? The big thing with prevention is really being a strong runner. So a lot of the things that we're going to talk about in treatment, and this has been shown in, so there was actually a clinical practice guideline that was just released last fall in our profession, in our orthopedic physical therapy world. And this was actually a, when they have a clinical practice guideline, they look at over 200 research articles that were on that topic. And they really synthesize all of that literature so we don't have to actually read it all and put it in a clinical practice guideline. So we finally have one for this condition, patellofemoral pain syndrome. And actually one of the guys who is working on that, because this takes actually five years. Like I remember one of the authors because he was on my committee for my dissertation. He was on my committee and he was telling me about when they were working on it. But these things take like five years. They basically synthesize literature for a 10 year period and one of the big things that the big consensus statement is strength and hip strengthening and quad strengthening. And that's going to be the big take-home points from today's um, talk. And in terms of prevention, those are great things that you can do on your own right now. And you don't even need to do them in a fancy gym either. There are some simple exercises that you can work on to build your hip strength as well as your quad strength that is going to help protect your body, make you a more stronger, resilient runner to basically improve the tracking of your kneecap. This document you're talking about, so they basically are boiling down all the research, um, kind of boiling down to what 
so that there's not this the one of the problems that we see sometimes with studies right is there's this one study comes out and all of a sudden it's like everybody in the especially in the online space they they go to that because it gives them something to write about or talk about and it's one study of 20 people who are college age kids who got recruited because they had to because that's what their class says go volunteer in this study right because i was a guinea pig um, on some psychology studies when i was taking a psychology class in college and it was so fun but at the same time, it's like most of us aren't 20 year old college athletes or, or people like that. And so what I like about these kind of things is that it sounds like what they're doing is they're looking across the whole suite of literature, boiling it down so that it takes some of these outliers. And if it is an outlier, that's fine. But it probably says this is an outlier. But in these other 95 percent of the cases, this is this is what we're seeing across different studies who are funded different ways, who have different um maybe different controls versus you know the maybe different population sizes and i think that's uh, something just for those listening is that i didn't i just took studies when i see a study and it was like oh i just took it for granted and but when i dug in and looked i'm like well, what are they studying they're studying they're making some so, so it's not that the study's bad it's just who it, the people interpreting make some very deep reaching conclusions from a study where, oh, all of a sudden, like, and I'm just throwing something out there. I have no idea if this is even legit or not, but like all of a sudden, like taking zinc causes, you know, prevents, um, you know, stomach pain, right? And they just make a blanket statement. And of course it ends up on all the magazines and articles and podcasts and stuff, because that's what we do. We see a study and we want to report on it. But, you know, I guess you, you know where I'm going with that, right? It's, it's like, I'm glad to see that there's things out there where they're they're kind of boiling it down and doing a lot of the peer reviews and, and, and starting to boil it down so that we don't have every time a new study comes out. You, know, you want to pay attention to it because it might have some new information, but um, I see that all the time, on, especially in Facebook groups where somebody will refer to like a study and I'm like, go dig into that a little deeper and you might find out that you know, it's got some interesting points to it, but just because there was a study doesn't need, necessarily mean that that conclusion was is true across all cases exactly and really what you're referring to is number one the hierarchy of evidence so there's a different hierarchy of research articles that are out there even starting from like a case study on one patient to a case series which is they have eight to ten patients who have runner's knee or a randomized control trial then we're blinding it and then a systematic review so there's this hierarchy of evidence and the guidelines really kind of look at all of those so you're right because you can't take one study and how we apply that evidence from physical therapy standpoint is it's what really we call evidence informed practice. So we're not taking a research article and just running with it, whatever their results and their conclusion was, we're like, wow, this is the magic pill for runners. knee. I need to do this with all of my runners that have front of the kneecap pain. No, we kind of have that evidence and we say, here is the highest quality of evidence that is available to us now at this point in time, which it was exciting when this clinical practice guideline got released last fall because we didn't have anything for that, for this condition before. We have it for other conditions in our profession, but this was the first one for this condition. And then I need to see you, Steve, in front of me saying, okay, you're getting this achy feeling behind your knee. Do you fit the criteria that they're talking about in this evidence? And then I use my clinical 
expertise and experience and say, I've seen 50 people like Steve who have this condition who've responded to these methods of treatment and I've seen good success. So we blend all of that into the best treatment available to you. So that's really what you're getting when you see a medical professional is the synthesis of those three factors, the best available research and evidence out there, the patient in front of them. So everyone is different, right? We, we're not all the same. We're not homogenous. And then their clinical experience and expertise in working with that specific population. So that's like for the example of, you know, if you're going to get a total hip replacement or a total knee replacement, you're going to go to the surgeon who has the most numbers of total hips and total knees because they've seen so many, they've done it so many times before. So that's really where like their clinical expertise and experience is going to play a huge role in determining your outcomes and how successful you are with the surgery or how successful you are, you know, actually getting rid of your, for our talk tonight, your runner's knee. Yeah, we see that. And I mean, we, I see that in coaching all the time is, is I'll have 90% of my people respond a certain way to a certain type of training or training plan. And there's always 10% that don't respond and they're, they're kind of like head shakers. Right. And you're just like, why is that not working for this person? And, uh, and then you try something different and all of a sudden they just respond magically, you know, and then it's like, Oh, and then you get excited. You're like, Oh, I should go back and try this with, you know, some of my other clients. And then, and then it does, you don't get the same result. And you're just like, you know, it's baffling sometimes. Cause it's like, you just, uh, you do see trends, you do see things that work over and over again. And then now I've done it long enough that I, I can start saying, okay, well, if I've gone down this path, this path is, you know, moderate or not, not as exciting or not as, uh, the results aren't as good, right? Then I can come back and go, okay, well, let's, let's try switching, pulling on this lever and see what that lever does. And, and, and it, now I'm seeing patterns and patterns and patterns of classifications of people who are responding certain ways. So people, you know, we, 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 one of the easiest patterns is people by age group, right? We see as people get older, they tend to um, not need to run as much um, because, you know, they heal slower or, you know, we see at certain periods of time where speed slows down, but that doesn't mean that we can't take a fast runner and speed them up by changing some other levers. It's just, we have to take, be very unique to that person. And so uh, very common, common thing in, in coaching as well is, is there's no one size training plan. There's no one size treatment plan for injuries either. So. Yeah. Um, that's the benefit that someone can get working with you, right. An yeah. individual basis. And I, I see a lot of runners who just think, Hey, I'll just pull this uh, training plan off of the internet and yeah, just give it, it a try. <laughs> it kills me. It kills me. So we, what you're doing with your clients is the same thing I'm doing from a medical standpoint and a PT standpoint, you're, you're essentially using what we call clinical reasoning. You're doing that same process in your coaching. And like you said, pulling those levers and individualizing it for the specific person, which I think really helps the overall health of a runner and helps with injury prevention. So I think what you're doing is fantastic. And I, I have a very injury focus anyways, with an approach when I go to train, because um, I'm trying to prevent because injuries are such prevalent in this sport. You know, the last thing I want to do is get runners injured because when runners injured, they can't progress. And if they can't progress, then it's like, why do I have a coach? And so I have a very vested interest. And, and yeah, I wish I could get past. I, I wish people could see the potential of what working with a coach is. They, I mean, what they're leaving on the table that they don't know they're leaving on the table and, and, and how, you know, with a little bit of time and a little bit of, of guidance and, and, we helps, we help with those blind spots. 
I mean, so many, we all have blind spots. We, I have blind spots and, and you have blind spots and, and, and stuff, but it's, you know, it's, it's more than just reading the latest version of runner's world or the latest, you know, download the latest training plan. And I just, it's something I've been fighting for 10 years and will probably continue the rest of my coaching career is just, there's so much left on the table. There's so much potential in all of us. And, um, and, and it's not all performance-based. The vast majority of my clients are not considering, you know, who can get the fastest and stuff. It's, it's more of them just want to be able to continue running. And Mm -hmm. especially, you know, we have very similar clientele. They're in their forties, fifties, some, some younger, certainly, and some older, but, but we're most of us who are in that age group, myself included, I just turned 51 last week. So I have, you know, my folk, my focus now is, can I run in my seventies? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas a few years ago, it was like, Oh, can I run like the fastest or, or how can I improve my times? But um, anyways, I want to get us back on, on topic here. Um, There's a nice sidebar. Sorry, go down the rabbit hole, but um, very good discussion. So we if we feel we have runner's knee, we have that pain behind our, our kneecap. Do we stop running? Do we cut back running? Do we just keep running? Like we always, I mean, what, what should we do? What are the first things we need to do to, to intervene and start start working on on getting rid of it yeah so i will preface this with that it is definitely individualized so i i kind of need to say that but i will give you some generalizations based upon again my experience working with a lot of runners with this condition is typically you don't need to stop running at all unless your condition is highly irritable how can you determine that are you getting pain pretty much all day long with everyday activities, then your condition's highly irritable. And this would be typical of someone who hasn't done a long run in a long time or hasn't done speed work. And then they go out and have a hard workout and their body wasn't ready for that. So now there actually might be an inflammatory component where they're having pain just walking. They can hardly get up the stairs. That person, I would say, yes, no, do not go for a run tomorrow. But that is extremely rare. The majority of folks listening to this episode right now are going to have that dull, diffuse, achy pain that comes and goes only with those activities. We talked about stairs, squatting, kneeling, running. So the majority of those, what I would do is have them probably back off their mileage a little bit. If they are doing speed work, then take that workout out for the week, have them focus on easy runs, back the mileage off a little bit, and try not to you know, choose courses without as much hills because that typically will increase it. So they're still maintaining their running fitness while they're also starting to treat the condition. So the the key is really maintaining their activity level. And we know from a mental psychological standpoint that is key for runners, as well as honestly, a physical standpoint, they're not shutting their muscles down and they're not losing the running fitness that they've built up for some time now. So, and that can easily be managed and I've done it hundreds of times with clients where they don't actually have to stop running in order to get better from this condition. Yeah. Just, just cutting back. And usually I'll, I'll tell somebody like, I, sometimes if depending on the level of pain, I'll say, Hey, take a couple of days off, let it kind of calm settle a little bit and then, and then ease back into it. And then in, I always say cut back volume by 50% just because it's an easy number for people to hit and I said keep you know go out at 50% and see does it stay does it get better 
with 50% cut back. And if not, then go see it, go see somebody. Cause if it doesn't get better with cutting back by that much, then it's probably not, you know, something else could be going on. Um, but I try not to like, I'm trying I'm careful in a sense of like, I don't want to overstep my balance. Cause it's like, I'm really like, let's just sit back, you know, probably not going to hurt anything by cutting back. And if, you know, at any point the pain gets severe, you stop running, but um, and go see somebody. But I found that just cutting back, you know, for a week, two weeks sometimes, and then just take that step back, let that, you know, cause usually it's because somebody's starting to do something harder, longer, they're, they're making too big of a jump that they're not ready for. And it's just like, Hey, cut it back. <laughs> just cut it back. See how it handles it. Um, because same for the same thing I've heard over and over again from numerous people is that if you stop running your muscles atrophy and you lose, you start losing not only just the cardiovascular, which, you know, that obviously you lose some of that too, but that comes back pretty quick when you resume running. But what you don't want to lose is the strength. And uh, if you don't believe me, go bench press and practice bench pressing and then take two weeks off from bench pressing and you will, you will notice that there is a strength difference, right? And sometimes with running, we don't notice it because we're used to walking around and holding our body weight. We don't realize how much uh, a strength we may be losing. And so um, what about knee braces? So I see people all the time will put knee braces on. They'll put these little ring braces or I forget the little banded braces that go right below the knee. Some people wear them above the knee. Some people wear compression. What are your thoughts on knee braces and do they work, not work? Um, do they work sometimes in some situations? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is a very common question as well. And this is kind of a myth. And just like we talked about the first uh, myth that we really talked about is that there's no special test, diagnostic test, and MRI isn't going to help diagnosis. Knee bracing is not going to help this condition. And that was even supported. I've seen this for years, but it was supported in that clinical practice guideline, looking at the vast majority of research out there. And we find that it doesn't decrease pain at all using a knee brace. There are some studies that have shown some results with taping. So there are some kinesio tape studies that show decrease in pain. So I, I just want to emphasize that because kinesio tape will not cure this condition at all. And the other taping that we've used traditionally within our field is what we call McConnell taping or kind of controlling the tracking of the kneecap. And this is more rigid tape versus like a kinesio tape that's very flexible. You can use it easily while you run. The McConnell tape kind of restricts motion and tries to like correct your kneecap so it's held in the proper place. What we found throughout the research is any form of tape, whether it's McConnell tape, kinesio tape, or even placebo taping, just putting a piece of tape on helps decrease pain. So I will pick my spots with some of my athletes and use some kinesio tape if it makes them feel better and allows them to do the exercises that are actually going to get them better. But a brace, honestly, I find more harmful than good because it does change their muscle activation patterns as well. And usually they compensate a little bit in their gait pattern. So with their running pattern, it won't be as fluid. It won't be as normal. And then they get reliant on it as well. And they don't want to get rid of it. So it's not going to get it better and it's not going to prevent injuries. So I just try to avoid it at all costs. And, you know, really find out from the runner, you know, why do they think a knee brace is needed? Because sometimes they'll come to me with one and we'll talk about some of those fears that they have and really get into their mindset and, you know, try to 
maybe look at it from a different angle and make sure they understand exactly what's going on with this condition and what are the things that they need to do to get it better. Yeah, my daughter had, um, when she was probably eight or nine, had, she was doing, she, my daughter never did cartwheels, but one day she decided to do cartwheel in the house and she came down on the fireplace hearth and her kneecap came completely to the side, completely dislocated out the side. It was the grossest thing ever. And uh, when she ended up going to the doctor, orthopedist doctor after, you know, day after the emergency room visit, which is a whole other fun, fun story. But, you know, he, the issue she had for, you know, a couple years and every now and then she has the issue now is now just, it wants to pop out more. And um, so with her, they were using a knee brace more of, of helping it stay in. Although now that, that she's now has since strengthened and her body's kind of tightened up a little bit more and, and stuff since she's been strengthening training and now she doesn't require a knee brace, but there, that makes sense because there's a, more of a structural <laughs> component. But I've heard of the fact that um, sometimes using a knee brace, if you think about it, it's, it's pulling in, especially the ones that go below the knee, they're pulling in a certain way. It, it's changing the way the muscles are, are, are activated. And, and I think, the thing that I've always said as well, wear it if it makes you feel better, but I'm not the expert to tell you don't wear one, but I've always had the belief that if you're wearing it, you're compensating for something else that needs strengthened, if that makes sense. And again, I don't know if that's realistic or not, but that's the way I, I look at knee braces. And so I'm like, why don't you just work on strengthening and, and fixing the thing so you don't need the brace. And if the brace is there for making you feel better because you don't have the strength yet and you haven't strengthened it yet, then maybe that's okay. But don't use it as like a prevention of, don't use it instead of doing the things that we need to do. And just kind of where I want to go next is obviously this is an exercise where the more we strengthen, um, the, the more stress we're taking off that knee. Um, can before, you talk a little bit about that? Or do you want to finish yeah, no, before we actually go down that uh, rabbit hole, I just want to reiterate too, Steve, because I think this is, I don't think I said this before, is, so your daughter had was patellar instability. So someone that either traumatically dislocates like she did, or someone who has chronic subluxations, which we find very common in female athletes. And that is completely different from kind of our talk today. So sure. I just want to make that clear as well. I didn't mention before, but another condition that runners can get is patellar tendinopathy or patellar tendinitis, pain on the bottom part of their kneecap right over the tendon. So that treatment would definitely be a lot different and everything we've talked about thus far would be different. There are some people who clump them all together into runner's knee. And I know you mentioned IT band too. It's basically just because they're around the knee and they're not internally within the knee, like structural, like the ACL or um, meniscal tears, but they are very different. And the treatment approaches are completely different with the patellar tendonitis, tendinopathy um, runner versus kind of this runner's knee patellofemoral pain syndrome. But yes, I would agree with your point as far as your daughter goes. That is the yeah. only time I do recommend a knee brace is usually for those adolescent female athletes who have the chronic subluxations where they're, they can still play their sport. They can play soccer, play volleyball, run, but they could do it with the knee brace. And yes, the goal is they need strengthening, strengthening, strengthening to try to control some of that kneecap. Unfortunately, I've had a lot of folks who 
you know, they might need a surgical procedure to actually help that. And there's like two different procedures they do, but that is kind of completely different than we're talking of our classic middle-aged runner who's having some achy knees. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point is that I think for those of us who are untrained that I, I say, you know, you can start with thinking if it's in this location that we're talking about and it resolves through some of the things we're going to talk about, then great. It was probably runner's knee, but if it's not resolving, then it's really not our, like nothing annoys me more than going out on Facebook and saying, Hey, I have this pain. Like, how do I fix it? And you get 50 different opinions on, Oh, you need new shoes or, Oh, you need to do this exercise or, Oh, you need to do this. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like we don't know. Right. Um, we, but on the other hand is I think most of us now know our bodies enough that we can say, okay, well, if I'm doing something too much, I should probably cut back on that. And if it's still bothering me, then I should try, you know, maybe try one or two things. And if that's still bothering me, then I just need to realize that I'm, I don't know what I'm doing and I need to go ask for help, which is where I would say is like, you know, especially with the knee, the, my understanding is, is it's a complex joint in the terms of that. There's a lot of things there. You know, we have tendonitis is the different, um, you know, the, the patellar uh, femoral pain, the IT band. And yeah, it's easy for somebody who, who, who kind of knows how to diagnose these things. But sometimes if we're just categorizing it as knee pain, it's like, I have people all the time say it's knee pain. I got knee pain. And it's like, okay, is it more towards the outside of the knee is a sharp pain versus a dull pain. And, and that's the limit. Like, I'm not trying to diagnose them. I'm just trying to say, whether or not like, Hey, you should go see a doctor <laughs> you know, or you should have a PT or you should go seek medical help. Right. Versus. Um, but then, you know, usually most things it's like, okay, what were you doing before this happened? Oh, I was doing hill workouts or I was doing speed work or, or I was increasing my miles. Okay. First step, let's cut back. Let's see what it resolves. And then if you need something and it's not resolving, then that's where we get involved. In. And so I think for those listening, it's very easy to listen to an episode like this and use it to diagnose yourself. And it's a dangerous place to be because I've, I'm one of the most stubborn people in the world. I'm like the last person who ever wants to set foot in, in any kind of office to do anything. And it's not because I'm, I don't want to go. It's because I just, I'm busy <laughs> and I'm cheap. I like, I really think like a lot of times I think we just, we don't want to, we're worried about paying for something. And, and reality is, is like, what do you, what's your, cost of not going and not getting back and turning something into something major. And, and I've had injuries that I've ignored and they've gotten really bad and it took, and I paid the price. I would have rather paid a price out on my wallet than paid the price of, of losing time. So um, I guess for those listening, just, if you're not sure, please go, go seek help because especially in the area of the knee, cause it's a lot of things could be, it, it could be a lot of things, but Okay. Well, that's a good, good point. Um, what about, okay. So we talked about what do we do? What's our, what's our first step? So as far as treatment goes, it really relates to getting down to the root cause of the problem. So with this condition, especially with the knee being the joint in the middle of the lower leg, when you're running, it's usually attributed to either issues going on at the foot and ankle or issues going on up the hip. And You need to, and this is where like an individualized examination comes into play because there are some runners that I see that have stiffness in the ankles, whether or not they're lacking what we call dorsiflexion or flexion of their ankle. They have tight calves where the joint itself is not moving. And 
if that's the case and that's the biggest contributing factor or they're even a big overpronator and they're overpronating their foot's going really flat when they run then treating the foot and ankle is going to be the first thing that you would do whether it's manipulation mobilization techniques soft tissue techniques to the calf muscle or possibly recommending a orthotic to control some of that pronation the other end of the spectrum that we see a lot of this is the hip issues and the hip issues are strength issues. So weakness up at the hip, specifically the hip abductor muscles. So the gluteus medius muscle, which I think of as kind of your most important running muscle. And it really controls keeping our pelvis level when we run, when we're running, we're always on one leg. We talked about this with IT band syndrome. This is another big contributing factor. If your pelvis is dropping a lot, when you run, it causes your knee to go inward. When your knee goes inward, the femur bone goes in, then that usually causes that irritation underneath the kneecap. So the tracking isn't you know, the best place scenario. So if you think of it, we kind of use the analogy of like a train on a track and the train is kind of your kneecap bone, so your patella, and then the, the track is your femur bone. So initially, when we started treating this condition 20, 30 years ago, everyone focused on the train. They focused on the patella and they focused on taping it, doing different treatments to the kneecap. But now with the research, we know that it's more the, the impairments, the causative factors are actually the track. So it's actually coming from the femur and what controls that is your hip muscles. So if your hip muscles aren't kicking in, it changes the alignment of the femur. And so specifically the gluteus medius muscle, the side hip muscle, you have to have strong side hip muscles as a runner. It's just necessary. So going back to prevention, and I don't even need to do an individualized examination on you, but I would recommend you strengthen your hip abductor muscles. It's not going to hurt you. It is only going to help you. So there are specific ways that you can do that and really think about not only doing it in a lying down position, like you'll traditionally see a classic lift your leg out to the side, um, number one, in order to activate that muscle a little better, do it lying against the wall. So you're sliding your leg up the wall. It causes you to go into more hip extension to activate more the back part of that muscle, which is the one you want to fire. And then number two is you need to progress to standing on one leg exercises to strengthen that muscle because that's what that muscle is doing when you run. It really is stabilizing the pelvis and slowly lowering your pelvis. So you need to train it in that fashion. And then the other muscle that's a big one with this condition is also your quads. So this is where it's a little different from IT band syndrome is you really need to do a lot of quad strengthening. And sometimes that could be challenging for this condition because as I mentioned earlier, squats hurt, right? And even lunges may hurt, like especially your back leg. Typically I'll see that is because most people, when they do lunges, they put too much pressure on the back leg. The back leg should just be a little stabilizer counterbalance. Most of your weight, if you do get pain with lunges, try this. Just shift your weight forward and put more of your weight through that front leg. You're going to notice your back knee doesn't hurt anymore. So this is where it gets tricky because you have to find a way to strengthen the quads that are not increasing pain. And there are ways that you can do that. There are different exercises, definitely playing with the angle of the knee and maybe not going as far down into a squat but you need to strengthen those quad muscles, which is going to actually directly impact some of the tracking of the kneecap. So those are really the two most important muscles that you can do for treatment. Um, 
and really prevention is strengthening your hip abductor muscles and the quads. And that's also was referenced in the guidelines, which is great to see because we've been seeing that for years as physical therapists in the clinic. And it's nice to show some research that supports kind of those are the best interventions and the best treatment that you can do for this condition. It's not a procedure. It's not an injection. There's no surgery for this. So that is the best thing you can do. And the beauty of it is a lot of this you can do on your own. And even like with me helping clients virtually through telehealth, I don't even, most of the time for these folks, I don't even need to put my hands on them because unless it is like an ankle mobility issue, because it's usually not something that I would really typically do a lot of manual work with, even like dry needling or soft tissue techniques. Typically, it doesn't require that. A lot of it is exercise-based, which the beauty is people can do that at home and we can talk via video like this and I can take them through exercises and then provide them with the follow-up videos so they can do it on their own at home. When I was having my issues with my knee, um, it hurt like it hurt doing lunges and it hurt doing squats. Um, and I was having pain where just going up and down stairs was really, really challenging, especially downhill. Going down the stairs was, was really tough for me. But um, I stuck with it. And I never did the squat to the point of it, you know, maybe a little bit uncomfortable, but I never pushed it into a deep squat or a deep lunge until I felt like that part was okay. And then as it, but I, I do think that that those kind of exercises um, contributed um, certainly worked on the hip adductor and some of the other um, exercises as well. Um, but I do think that it wasn't, you know, it was never rest that fixed my problem. It was always, I had to, like it, it might make the pain go away for a few days. Um, but the very next day that I went out and ran, the pain was right back. But when I did the, what I saw with doing the exercises was that each week got a little bit less, a little bit less. And then a couple of weeks, it kind of went away. And then, you know, it's come back from time to time when I stopped doing the exercises. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, it's kind of like you, it was one of those things where I just, I have to keep doing it. And, and so these exercises, unfortunately, they're built into the strength training plans that I have anyways now through the, the, the programs that I'm going through here locally. But um, yeah, it's, I, I feel, I mean, it, it was one of the turning factors that sold me on, on strength training. Um, Cause like I said, and, and people have listened for, I know, you know, this cause we've chatted is that early on, it was all about running and, not as much about strength training and now it's kind of in, in the last couple of years and you've been some instrumental in helping me kind of solidify what I was already feeling and what I was hearing from others is that you know I, I strength train first and then I worry about getting my runs in and um, that that was hard for me to accept <laughs> um, because you know there's it took me a while to really enjoy strength training I didn't you know, back when I was in my twenties and I just wanted to look good, you know, it was like, it was different, it was, but it was a different type of strength training. It wasn't even this kind of strength training. It was, that was more about making my muscles look bigger, you know? So um, now it's like, I, I strength train entirely for injury prevention reasons. And, and then there's some health benefits too. I mean, there's other health benefits there, but it, for me, it, it keeps me running. Um, and I know that when I step away from it or if I'm sloppy with my strength training, I'm not consistent with it. I pay for it. it. It comes right back. Um, and it comes back in terms of little aches and pains and little things that, you know, they might not be full on injury, but it's like, oh, I noticed it's a little harder to get out of bed or it's a little harder to get up from my chair or I'm stiffening up. And, and I just now have, have 
like when I see that happen, I'm like, the first thing I look at is I go, oh, I didn't, I only got one exercise, uh, one workout in this week instead of my normal two or three. And, but I do a lot with, you know, we, we know this and everybody listening knows that I'm a big proponent of getting to the single leg drills and the single leg balance and then, and then progressing those up. And, and so definitely, definitely think um, that is a, the biggest contributing factor to prevention, but also uh, getting past most of the injuries. And so it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's no longer that take six months off or take three months off or take three weeks off. It's, it's try to keep that, that movement going. Absolutely. And you're doing a great service to the runners that you work with too, because some people don't realize that traditional strength training or I have a lot of clients that take kind of like hit workouts and they just want the like quick workout that they can do in a half hour and yeah. then they're done. Most of those workouts are done on two legs and they don't really translate as well to them as a runner. So I love that you mentioned the yeah. training on one leg. Like that's one of my kind yeah. of foundational principles and strengthening running specific muscles. So as a runner, you need to train specific muscles. One of those, really two of them that we talked about today was the hip abductors and the quads that you need to isolate those muscles and also learn how to train them on one leg like they're being used when you're running. Yeah. It's, it's awkward to learn at first if, if you're not used to it, if you don't have somebody guiding you, it, it like you feel like you're not doing in some cases, you don't even feel like you're really strength training in some carries. It's like, it, it takes a little bit of like, I was doing, I was doing certain exercises when I started and realized I was not maybe doing them hundred percent correct. And so what was happening was I wasn't really targeting the area I thought I was targeting or, you know, sometimes by turning a certain way or making sure that you're, you're, you're extending a certain way that you're, you're targeting the specific muscles that you really want. And, and that was, that took a lot of learning uh, when I was doing it, but yeah. So yeah, I want to, I want to start wrapping up anything that we forgot to mention that we haven't covered. No, I think the big thing uh, we, we hit all the main points, you know, one other thing that gets brought up is stretching and a lot of runners who think they're not flexible you know, the only two muscles that are usually relevant to this condition is the quad muscle. So specifically your rectus, which crosses your hip joint, because if the quads are tight and they are, usually it needs to be pretty significantly tight. They will pull that kneecap because they attach to your kneecap. So it will pull your kneecap up a little bit. So certain times, either foam rolling or stretching, you know, the rectus muscle uh, part of your quad is important, as well as sometimes the TFL IT band structure trying to improve the mobility like we had talked about for the iliotibial band um, podcast episode. But those are really the only two muscles that are relevant here. If you have, you know, tight hamstrings, it's not going to be contributing to your runner's knee pain. So stretch, don't waste your time stretching your hamstrings. Okay. Awesome. Um, so where can people learn more about you, learn and get a hold of you? I, obviously we want them to join your group as well because you have an amazing group over on Facebook. Can you tell us a little bit about the best way to get a hold of you, how to access you, talk a little bit about your, some of the things you got going on? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I love that community that we started. So it is the Healthy Runner Facebook group. So you can find us there. You can also um, listen to those live episodes that we do every Monday night on the Healthy Runner podcast, which you can find on your favorite podcast app, um, as well as all the exercises that I, I talk about and um, various treatments for conditions and some of the things we talked about today. You can actually find all of them on my YouTube channel at Spark Your Training. 
and I have them categorized into body parts. So you can find specific exercises for the hip. There's about eight different exercises that I basically would give my clients that I work with on a one-on-one basis um, within there for the gluteus medius muscle. So you can find that there, or if you're a big social media person, Instagram, I'm also pretty active on there. So that can have all the exercises. You can even just look at the um, either spark your training on Instagram or the hashtag spark runner, and you'll find all the specific posts that will help you be a healthy runner. So those are the main avenues and really the website sparkyourtraining.com is kind of home base. So you can find all the platforms there as well as finding out more of some of the running injury services that I do provide. Yeah. For those of you listen, make sure you go and join all those right now. Cause, uh, uh, I've, I follow Dwayne. That's how we actually were introduced in, in terms of, he is very active on social media. He has, um, amazing YouTube channel. In fact, I actually hand out some of your videos on occasion. I think cool. I've embedded them even in a couple articles um, over on the RunBuzz website. And, awesome. Thank um, you. And uh, no, thank you for putting them out there. They're really good quality. So it's it's nice being able to just have a place to send people. And so um, I enjoy being a part of your group and I enjoy listening to your podcast. And, and, and so definitely, definitely check out Dwayne's stuff again over at um, sparkyourtraining.com and obviously his YouTube channel. And uh, make sure you hit subscribe on all those. Uh, is Both my show and his show, really the lifeblood is subscriptions. And if nobody subscribes, if you just go watch and you don't hit subscribe, uh, there's no indication to YouTube that you liked it. And one of the biggest things that, that we need the audience to really the support is if you want to continue to have, see shows like this, you want to send to people who are going to volunteer their time and, and effort to put stuff out is, is we need those subscriptions. We need those likes. We need that feedback. And obviously just tell us how we're doing because we need your content suggestions. So if you uh, join any of our groups, um, please make, make suggestions. We, 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 we sometimes run out of things to talk about. I know that's hard to say because I usually find a word for everything, but it's been tough in the last couple, couple months trying to think of things. It's like, cause I feel like I've covered stuff before, you know, being six years into it, but I forget that most people are listening now for the first time or could be listening for the first time and, and don't always go back and, and uh, listen to six years worth of podcast. So it is time to start returning and, and putting new content out. Um, but anyways, I want to thank you, Dwayne, for coming on the show. I know we went a little longer than I think we wanted to, but I, we went into a lot of depth and I think, uh, those listening are going to be very happy with the, the detail and, and all the stuff that we talked about. Well, thank you. This is uh, fun as always, Steve. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. We'll, we'll have to figure out the next injury and have you get on sometime soon. Sounds good to me. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Hey, wait a minute. Just to let you guys know, much of what you heard on this episode is delivered live within our Healthy Runner free Facebook group. So head over to there to request to join our community in which you will have access to the video version of this episode and so many bonus features, including blog article references and YouTube video links, as well as me answering your specific running related questions. 
Also, we are closing in on 50 reviews on iTunes, which I am super pumped about, given we're only six months into this podcast journey together. So to help me get there, the first thing you need to do is you have to subscribe to The Sucker, whether it is Apple iTunes that you're listening to this or whatever platform you are on. The next thing is make sure you leave a review. I love to hear what you have to say, and I read all of them, and it means a lot to me. The last thing, guys, is take a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and put it on your stories on Instagram and tag me. That's at SparkYourTraining. If you do this, I will repost it so you'll get a bump, I'll get a bump, and most importantly, we will share this information with a lot more runners because that is the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of as many runners as possible to help them be healthy and stay on the road doing what they love. So take a screenshot. Share it on Instagram stories and tag me in it. Let's try and get to 50 reviews on the podcast. Thanks for listening.